Welcome to another episode of Daily Wisdom Words Podcast. I'm your co-host, Neil Torebi. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I am also your co-host, Renee O'Day. Join us every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time as we talk to guests who have stories, life hacks, and advice, all of which take you one step closer to the feeling of home. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of welcoming back one of our favorite guests, psychologist specializing in forensics, Dr. Lena Haji. Hey, Lena, welcome to- Hi. Hi, Lena. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me back on my favorite podcast. Oh, (laughs) Conversation today has got me so excited because we're going to talk about what is going on in the world, and that is war. And, and how it affects, of it. yeah, the impact yeah. of it on children, on, you know, the people Adults. that are fighting. You know, these Everybody. people didn't expect to fight. But man, they, they, they stood up with their arms, you know, to, mm-hmm. to protect their country. What do you think of that? I mean, I think it's, first of all, I think it's sad and tragic, and I I am extremely anti-war. My parents work for the United Nations, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was literally born and and bred to be anti-war. I find it, you know, I find it it, it shows humans at their absolute worst, Um, but it also shows humans at their absolute uh, bravest and most courageous. And um, I think it's, it's mind blowing to see that, you know, um, people are coming to stand up for what they believe in, to protect their communities, to protect their families, to protect their country, to protect their culture, um, and are, are willing to lose themselves in the process. I mean, it's, it's something I can't really wrap my head around because I've been fortunate enough to never be in that predicament, you know? And, you know, last time uh, you were here and we talked a lot about what makes a psychopath a psychopath officially and clinically and all that. Um, what is like your general opinion of people who are identified as dictators? What like uh, mental, what mental like issue would they fall under? Would you say they're all psychopaths or is it something just narcissists or like in your general view over the years of any dictators you've seen and observed and learned about, what, where, where would they fall under psychological? Let's start with Putin. <laughs> Let's start with that psychopath. Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Neil. I think people who rise to the position of dictatorship are pretty much by default psychopaths. I mean, Putin is clearly a psychopath. Um, and, you know, you look at the, the factors that make up a psychopath and you have, you know, superficial charm and glibness. I, I don't find Putin particularly charming, but I know that a lot of people do in the sense that he's capable of charming people into his beliefs, you know? And then there's grandiosity. I mean, he's so grandiose and has an exaggerated estimation of himself. Uh, Need for stimulation. Clearly he needs stimulation. I mean, war is the ultimate insane stimulation. Pathological lying. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, You know, poor behavioral controls, callousness. I think the real the real clencher when it comes to dictators and somebody that can just go and kill innocent people is the lack of empathy and the lack of remorse. The, the fact that there's probably an inability to feel any kind of empathy or remorse, 
makes it so easy to take human lives and destroy human lives. Yep. So do I think Putin sure. is a psychopath? Uh, I've never, full disclaimer, I've never met him or assessed him or evaluated him, but from a <laughs> perspective, absolutely, absolutely. He's a total from a psychopath. clinical psychologist perspective, you would tag him with that. Now, I, I remember in college um, learning that children learn empathy within the five years of the first five years of their life. And then after that, if they don't, it's really hard to grasp and they can turn out to be serial killers and, and things like that. Am I correct? Um, I think, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really large statement. I do believe that there is some research that indicates that empathy, you know, is formed in the first five years of life i think there's it's a combination of you know the whole nature versus nurture thing where there's like a predisposition and then if you have a nurturing home and nurturing parents and nurturing caregivers then you're more likely to for sure develop empathy now if you don't develop empathy in the first five years of life does that mean that you turn into a serial killer no not necessarily because you can still kind of be navigated to live a pro-social life so you will you might be more likely to become a politician or a corporate attorney <laughs> you know you might not end up being a social worker and like mm -hmm. a foster care uh, director mm -hmm. but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll engage in um anti-social activities or criminal activities if that makes sense there's a whole gray area you know it's not like either you have empathy or either you don't or either you know you're a psychopath, or either you're not. It's much more gray than that, if that makes sense. But yeah, empathy yes, is very much instilled in the early stages of life, for sure. So can we? Okay, can we now talk about the president of Ukraine and his personality? I mean, this man has stepped up to the plate. I mean, I, I love him. Um, and it's I funny because I was talking to a friend of mine who is from Ukraine and still has family there and I'm kind of constantly checking on her and she said that um, it's interesting because yeah. crisis brings people together, right? Mm -hmm. And adversity <clears throat> yeah. brings people together. And she said there were, that prior to the war, not everybody really liked Zelensky and not everybody mm -hmm. was pro-Ukrainian president. But of course, he was given this opportunity to, as you said, step up to the plate and defend his country and not hide and not run like a lot of politicians would. And so he's become such a likable, personable representation of what it seems like Ukrainians want and what, what, what any human would want, somebody to kind of protect yeah. them and take charge and, and things of that nature. And so, you know, it's kind of like 9-11. You know, New Yorkers, they hate each other all the time. I'm a New Yorker, so I can speak about New Yorkers. New Yorkers are always and I ordered my bagel first and then 9-11 <laughs> happened. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, New Yorkers felt this great sense of protecting their city. And I'm proud to be a New Yorker. Yeah. Don't mess with my people. And all of that kind of those little nuances of life that tend to annoy us, none of those mattered anymore because there was a bigger picture and a bigger cause. So I think that's really what's happened here with everybody, with the Ukrainian president looking at him like, yeah, he's the most likable, personable, bravest, have our back guy on the planet right now. Whether they liked him before is another story, right? At what age, like, um, I don't know, is there a common like demographic where these kind of thoughts of, 
patriotism and unity and uh, based on the events around us, like I said, crisis bringing us together. Is there a common age demographic where these things start to impact children or teenagers, or does it just vary on their surroundings, like you were saying earlier, nature versus nurture? I think it's probably a combination. You know, you tend to see young people who are more proactive, um, you know, more passionate. Um, I know that when I was in college, I was definitely more outspoken and more willing to go on marches and more willing to, you know, protest and riot and all that kind of stuff. But that's also because adolescents and young adults, their brains haven't fully developed and they don't really understand the consequences. Mm -hmm. Actions. That being said, right. there's some people that are, you know, like that throughout their their entire lives. Um, I can speak for myself that, you know, now in my early 40s, I'm not as likely to. You are not in your. Yeah, early I'm 43. You say late 20s, but go ahead. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought you were about 33. I'm honest, honest. I know, honest. No, I'm 43. <laughs> so I can say that the things that I did as a teenager wow. to fight for social justice versus the things I did in my 20s versus the thing, things I did in my 30s versus the things I do now are extremely different. You know, at age 19, if somebody said there's a protest, I'm getting dressed and I'm going. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. I'm not getting dressed. I'm not going to protest. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. I like to fight in different ways voting, um, writing to, you know, uh, supporting legislation, um, yeah. becoming a member of different groups, uh, donating money, you know, they're much, much more safe and mature ways to, to, to protest. Um, mm -hmm. I still like to be completely involved in um, social causes and social justice, but it's very different from when I was 18, 19, 20 and would go and voluntarily hit people. <laughs> So let's yeah. talk about the children of Ukraine. What would you recommend parents do? Talk to their children. It's a really, say. it's a pretty loaded question. Well, when you think about children in the heat, <laughs> the heat yes, of war, I mean, yeah, when you think about children in the heat of war, you know, there's a hierarchy, right? First things that need to be addressed are, are basic resources, you know, basic needs. And so food, shelter, warmth, um, things of that nature, you know, and so they, they, they've lost access to school and healthcare and adequate shelter and water and food. So just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have to fulfill those basic needs first, obviously, right? They have to be fed, they have to be sheltered, they have to be warm. Then you think about kind of disrupted family relationships. You see these children being torn away from their parents and their fathers staying to fight or their mothers staying to fight. And so really having to, I think it has to be age appropriate, but really ex being honest with your children and explaining to them what's going on and having talks about it. Because a lot of the times we try to shelter kids from stuff that's going on, but kids are very intelligent and kids are very intuitive. Also kids are very resilient, which we underestimate that. So sometimes we shelter them and we hide and we, we kind of give lies. And this isn't the lie of like Santa Claus, which you know, Santa, you know, that's a different kind of lie versus this is a lie of like, you know, everything's going to be fine and, and underestimating children's ability to respond and be resilient. So being completely transparent, um, not in the sense that like daddy's going to fight and he might die and not come home, but in the sense of like, you know, this is kind of the world we live in. This is what's going on. And, you know, and, and just 
giving them coping skills, whether it's talking to them, letting them cry on your shoulder, um, trying to give them any kind of warmth and compassion that you can. I mean, it's, it's, it's so far removed from anything that we've gone through or understand, or at least me, that it, it's really hard to say, this is what Ukrainian parents should be doing. I mean, who am I to say? Yeah. How about well, like on the, the families, the outside, like we're sitting here safe in the United States, watching everything from, you know, on the news and all that. What would you recommend like parents, like over here or anywhere else outside <clears throat> of the situation, teach their kids about, what's going on, you know, and because in this day and age, you know, everybody, every kid, any age notices everything because of our world literally being everything at our fingertips. We are smart devices. If it's on TikTok, if it's on TikTok, it's going to be something your kids will. Well, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere on social media. So what, I mean, what do we tell our kids growing up about like subjects like war even in general like stuff that the ugly things that are going on outside of our homes that's a really tough tough question and i think it has to be a balance of telling the truth because again we don't want to lie and also being sensitive as to um you know what they are subjected to right so Mm -hmm. like you guys said everything is out there it's all on social media so our kids are going to see it whether we want them to see it or not so we can advise for parental controls and things like that but they're not we can't watch them 24 hours a day they're going to they're going to see it from their friends they're going to see it at school they're going to be so i think again explaining explaining to the best of your knowledge the way that like you know i have a six-year-old niece and the way my sister explains it to her she she buys her a lot of uh age appropriate you know books about war and conflict and she explains it to her and just saying you know this is what's happening and this is why you know humans are flawed deeply flawed um and then you know yeah of course doing your best to limit kind of at least the images they see, you know, the, the, you, the, yeah. the more gory, horrific blood, things like that, you, you do want to kind of keep that from them. But I, I, again, I think we underestimate how resilient children are, how much they understand, mm. how much they um, are exposed to. And so they're, they're teaching them, teaching them is really the best bet to protecting them. So let's talk addiction in war. This, I believe this generation is our, we, I mean, we grew up in an addictive age. How do we prevent this generation from, and I I mean, I'm not asking you to do it, you know, because obviously I think you could, I think you could personally, but you're responsible for the whole country. Your responsibility. You're stuck with that. But I mean, yeah. yeah. But I mean, how do, you know, how do we not get these kids, let these kids get addicted? They're addicted to social media. Yeah. It's not just substances. You can buy everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, smart technology, apps, social media, everything. I think addiction, you know, there's addiction, like you said, to everything. There's addiction to social media. Kids are vaping like crazy these days. Kids are, um, you know, weed is legal and I'm not against weed being legal, but um, you can get addicted to, you know, whether it's alcohol, methamphetamine, TikTok. I mean, addiction is 
addiction is so prevalent and it's going to continue to be prevalent, especially when people experience trauma, because then you have kind of a, you know, a predisposition, another predisposition to kind of wanting to numb your feelings and numb your experiences. Right. So um, how do we prevent addiction? Again, uh, education is a huge component. Um, And also, you know, making sure that kids have other outlets. So what I'm seeing a lot in adolescents and children is, They'll come, the parents will bring the children or the adolescents to me for a psychological evaluation and, and say like, my kid has ADHD or my kid has anxiety or my kid has depression. And then you'll ask about kind of lifestyle choices. Is your child engaged in any extracurricular activities? No. Oh, they don't do any sports. They don't do any music. They don't do any art. They don't do any community events. No, they come home. Well, what do they do when they get home from school? Well, they watch TikTok for three hours. Okay, well, there's your problem. Number one, they don't have ADHD. They have a poor parent, <laughs> excuse my dad, yeah, right? But like, or these kids yeah. come in and they're obese and they're obese. And they're like, my kid is depressed. And I'm like, of course your child is depressed. You're feeding them McDonald's all day, every day. They're pre-diabetic. They're getting made fun of in school. They have poor self-esteem. So like, you know, making sure that children have other outlets like sports and music and art and friends and, and, and I, I understand that some after school activities can be expensive, but taking your kid to the park is free, right? So take your kid to the park, take your kid to the YMCA, take your kid to community stuff. And I don't see that happening a lot. When I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to come home until the sun went down. Go play outside. I I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. Go play outside and when the sun starts coming down, then you come home. And art and music and piano classes. And And that was in New York. That, that was, was in New York. York. How that scary York. is that? <laughs> yeah. exactly. Nowadays, nowadays so, it would be like, really? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that you have to educate your children on addiction. You have to provide them with alternative outlets. Mm-hmm. And if you see them sliding, get them help as soon as possible. Early intervention and, and pro- being proactive is the key to everything. You know, that we're so reactive in this country. It's like, oh, you're depressed, here's some Prozac. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Prozac. I'm saying like, what, what did we do? What do we do to prevent the diabetes, the obesity, the PTSD, the depression, the substance abuse, and on and on I can go. We have to be more proactive for sure. Well, that is a perfect lead into what is your thoughts on psychedelics and changing the brain chemistry? Now, here in California, I'm not kidding, these ketamine uh, places are like everywhere. It's not cheap, but I mean, they're, they swear by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, ketamine. Ketamine clinics are very popular down here too. And um, there is some research that, first of all, let me, let me, people need to understand that it's not like people are doing shrooms and then their depression is going away. This is microdosing under a medical doctor's supervision, or it should be. So mm-hmm. microdosing is yeah. very different from somebody taking a bunch of psilocybin or shrooms or LSD and saying, I'm going to cure my depression, right? This is monitored. It's under somebody who's been through medical school, hopefully. And yes. microdosing. So it's, yes, there's some, there's a lot of research that says ketamine clinics are very effective 
for major depress depression. So I'm not against it at all. I've heard ketamine, ketamine work. I've seen ketamine work, but it has to be done correctly. It has to be done under medical yes. supervision. And again, it's, this isn't just somebody taking LSD saying I'm going to be cured. This is micro dosing. It's, it's a medical professional administering this in a sustained, you know, fashion. So it's very different from somebody just getting high. Um, yeah. So you, but you have read studies that it does help. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not anti-ketamine or anti, um, you know, um, hallucinogenic drugs, but there's a way, there's a frequency, there's an intensity, there's, um, there's, it, it needs to be done in a medical manner. I mean, same with weed, you know, weed, uh, medical marijuana has proven to help a lot of people with chronic pain, with anxiety, with all sorts, with headaches, with all sorts of stuff, sleep disorders. That doesn't mean go find your local drug dealer, buy some weed and smoke all day long. That's not what that means. It means that there's a way to do it. There's a certain kind of marijuana. There's a certain, uh, in, again, intensity, duration, frequency, uh, the way you ingest it, whether it's oral, whether it's topical, whether it's smoked. I mean, everything has, we, we as humans take everything to the extreme. We F everything up, right? I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with sugar even, but sugar in moderation. You go nuts with sugar. That's when you get obesity and diabetes and lethargy and all sorts of stuff. But everybody should have sugar every now and then. Well, it's the same with most things in life. Everything in doses and everything in moderation is usually okay. But we don't know how to do that. No, we don't know how to do that at all. Our society has never been taught moderation. You yeah. know? And it's personally... Always, it seems to me like it's always the what to do, never the how and why to do it. Humans, you know, we mess up the environment. We mess up... We, we, we mess up... We mess up everything, right? Because we don't know how to moderate. And the key component is being selfish. I just moved to a new building and I said, where's the recycling bin? And they said, we don't recycle in this building. And I thought, it's 2022. How do you not wow. recycle? Right? How do you and not I'm recycle? In, well, I'm in Florida. Okay, you guys know what's wrong. <laughs> in, in, in California, in New York, if you don't recycle, you get a fine, right? In California, yes, you get a fine if you do not recycle. In New York, if they find a plastic bottle in your garbage, you will be fined. I live in Florida. I'm not going to get started in Florida. But so I said to them, well, I don't like, I don't, I'm not okay with putting like plastic in my garbage. I just, it doesn't sit well with me knowing I could do something about it. So I have to go like an extra block every day just to throw out my recycling, but I do it. You know, it's a pain in the neck. I hate doing it. I have to like separate everything. I have to go, but it doesn't matter. You know, I'm, I'm willing to do that minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things, even though my building doesn't recycle because I don't want to be a selfish a-hole. You know what I mean? We're destroying our mm -hmm. planet. So mm -hmm. everybody, every little helps. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say yeah. I'm better than anybody because Lord knows I can be lazy just like everybody else. But if everybody just we did are. their little part, their little mm -hmm. part, their, your little recycling, your little, your little not littering, your little, <clears throat> your little be nice to the homeless person, your, you mm -hmm. know, all of that little stuff, it, we would be just, we would be okay. But it's that small percentage of people that are so egregious and so horrendous, the Putins of the world. And you know, other politicians mm -hmm. that shall remain nameless and, 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 and those kind of people who, with all the power and all the money, who end up destroying everything. Mm -hmm. I know. They, they, because they're out for themselves. 
you know, they're and number everything, one. Like you've mentioned, like in this episode so far, like, you know, talking to your kids the right way, right? The correct way and explaining them, or like you said, going that extra, it seems like all of these solutions, all it requires is just a little bit more effort from on everybody's part. It's not like we're asking like, you know, commute 500 miles every day to save the environment. You know, we're not asking for something that is over the top and impossible to do. It just seems that in any, any of these things, any of these topics that we talked about, it seems like if we just made a little bit more effort in anything, whether it's raising, raising children or looking after the environment or not letting the kids get addicted to anything, it just seems like a little bit more effort and we'd all be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my, like, you know, another example is my sister reads to my niece who's six every night before going to bed. She reads to her for like 10 minutes. And I don't know many parents who read to their kids and read to their children anymore. And it's like, you know, that's such a small thing. She reads to her for 10 minutes. And and thankfully, my niece is doing great in school. And obviously, I'm biased because it's my niece. So I think she's the best thing since sliced bread. But something as minor as that, Walking yep. your recycling up the block, reading to your kid 10 minutes a day, turning off the TV a half an hour extra, all those little habits that if everybody did, they would all build up, you know, and maybe we wouldn't be three years in a pandemic. I mean, you know, wear your stupid mask or maybe we wouldn't be in, in a war if everybody was just a little more selfless. We're so selfish as human beings. We just, we really are. And it's just mind blowing how it doesn't take that much effort to be just a little more selfless. Now, can we get, I, I, I wanted to ask you another question about Putin. How does he save face in this? Narcissists don't quit, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So, I, don't think, I don't think he cares about saving face. I don't think he needs, I don't think he thinks he has a face to save. I think he thinks he's the almighty. I think there's also a control factor. You know, if you can instill fear in people, they're going to do whatever they need to do. They are going to be yes men. I think it's a little different from the United States because I think there are some serious consequences if you're not a yes man in, in, in some, you know, in some places in the world and probably Russia. You know, they've kind of, yeah. I've heard they've banned their Instagram. They monitor their um their social media and whatever news outlets they have. So it's, it's easy for us over here to judge and be like, well, just say no. But I don't think it's that simple um, in other parts of the world where you can just say no. And as far as Putin saving face, he doesn't feel like he needs to save face. He will never feel like he needs to save face. He's right and everybody else is wrong. So why would he need to save face? He's, 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 a, he's a god in his eyes. I was going to, yeah, what I was going to ask, like, when we talk of narcissism, is there a, again, it goes back to the demographic thing, is there a common age where that starts developing in younger people, or does it, again, is it just varying under the circumstances and how they grow up? That's a really good question. I think with narcissism, it's a lot more (laughs) innate. I think it's, it's, it's characterological, it's part of the personality. So I think it can be probably deterred or fostered, but I think it, it usually develops very early because it, and it's such a pervasive pattern that you know there's very little hope for narcissists because the whole way to treat narcissism is for that person to have insight. But the disorder itself 
the whole point of the disorder is it lacks insight, right? So you can't treat right. something if you don't think you have it. And if you're a narcissist, there's nothing wrong with you. So why would you treat, you know, like it's, it's cyclical. Yeah. And it's like round a wish circle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm not going to go for therapy because there's nothing wrong with me, but there is something wrong with you. You're a narcissist. Well, I don't see it because there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you and everybody else. Yeah. So that's the problem with narcissism is that it's so difficult to treat because there's no insight and there's no, you know, people usually go for mental health treatment because they're experiencing distress, right? If you're feeling depressed, you're like, God, I don't feel good. I need help. Or if you have anxiety, I don't feel good. I need help. You're hearing voices. You have ADHD, whatever it is. But with narcissism, there's no distress because there's no, you know, I'm the best and everybody's the worst. Unless they might be feeling anger and frustration. And even then, it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the depression. So basically what therapy, you're saying. If they go to therapy, their question probably is, how do I make these people say that, see that they're wrong and I'm right, right? That's exactly. probably what they'll ask their therapist. Well, first, this has been a fascinating conversation. Agreed. I love Agreed. talking to you and you're 92 degrees. <laughs> I mean... Even the last episode, we really did get a lot of good feedback. And, really? You know, oh, was, yeah. yeah. A lot of you're people one of the like, who is... I've never mm -hmm. heard of this uh, doctor. Who is she? And, you know, where do you, how did you discover and how did you invite her on the, like, it was, yeah. 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 That's so awesome. Right Thanks, kiddo. Of course, we you really, guys really, 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 really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, so yeah. good. To see I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. So am I. I need a nap. Yeah. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Have a good day, sweetie. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And thank you, Lena, for coming back on the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Instagram, and Facebook at all the links listed in the description. And don't forget to hit like on this video and subscribe to this channel so you never miss an episode. Thank you, everyone, once again, and we will see you right here next week at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Goodbye. Bye.